Today's program is brought to you by Happy Chef Uniforms, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. Visit happychef.com to order your free 2018 catalog. Welcome to Meet in 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler. We're bringing you a report today about how migrant children separated from their families at the U.S. border are being housed and fed. Stay tuned. This week, we said farewell to Mary Margaret McCartney as she wrapped up her summer internship at HRN. She's heading to Auburn University's Media Studies program this fall. We can't wait to see what's next after the great work she's done with us. This week's show explores youth and begins with a story reported by Mary about recent efforts to modernize home economics classes. Hugh Atchison is an award-winning and outspoken chef. He's also the creator of Seed Life Skills, a new home ec curriculum that aims to provide kids the practical life skills he felt were lacking in modern education. His inspiration? A heated conversation with the superintendent at his daughter's school. So home ec was originally the idea. It was very gender specific. It was how to prepare women to, or young women to be good mothers and how to keep a home. So that is hopefully an outdated phenomena um, that we all need to be given skills to survive in life. So we, I, I talked to the school superintendent. We uh, had some harsh words. We're very good friends now. Um, and he was like, you should write a curriculum. I just graduated from a small high school and never took a home ec class, but my mom did. We did both sewing and cooking. We went from one category of recipe to another, learning how to make um, different uh, things such as breads and desserts and uh, cakes and quick breads. For the most part, they were simple recipes, but there are ones that I continue to use even till today. Were there any boys in the class with you? Oh, uh, no, never. <laughs> Not even. Um, and let's see, that would have been like 1972. Absolutely not. Is there anything that you wish the curriculum had included? They did call it home economics, and I suppose that's what it was lacking, was economics. You see, your husband would have been counted on to be doing all that stuff for you. Home economics is an important class for all students, but just like anything else, it needs an update every once in a while. We get new phones every six months, right? Well, we haven't changed home ec curriculum for 55 years. They're still teaching the red velvet cupcake and outdated things. Seed Life Skills aims to put real economics into home ec. It's also got a lot of financial stuff in it. It's how to read a lease. It's how to sign a cell phone contract. The Seed Life Skills curriculum is catching on. It's in active and four middle schools. The curriculum's completely free on the web. For any school, it's been downloaded a thousand times in the last week. Atchison sums up the mission of Seed Life Skills like this. It's all these things that just prepares kids to be better citizens later on, to make proper choices. But it's also things like, how do you fix a toaster? How do you clean something? How do you do things sustainably? How do you recycle? So it's, it's kind of like, I don't remember trigonometry. I don't know if anyone does. But if I can teach a kid 
who comes from a relatively impoverished household in Athens, Clark County, with a mother who works three jobs. If I can teach that kid how to poach an egg and saute spinach, I'm winning. I'm not trying to raise a generation of chefs. I'm trying to raise a generation of nourishers who can nourish themselves. If you want to learn more about Seed Life Skills, including how to download the curriculum, go to seedlifeskills.org. Check out episode 82 of HRN On Tour for Hugh Atchison's full talk from the Chef's Collaborative Summit. This summer, we also have the pleasure of working with another intern who's heading off to college soon. Victoria Harvey is one of our Saxelby Radio Scholars Class of 2017. For that program, she produced a radio story about picky eaters. Check it out in our archive if you missed it. Victoria will be studying animal sciences at SUNY Cobleskill this fall. Victoria looked into an organization ensuring that free summer meals for kids are just a text message away. No Kid Hungry is a charity that works to end childhood hunger in America. That's Eli Sussman. He's the host of The Line on HRN and a member of the host committee for New York City's Taste of the Nation. It's an annual fundraiser for No Kid Hungry that takes place every spring. I participate mostly in the Taste of the Nation event, which is a walk-around tasting event. And uh, between 30 and 50 restaurants and bars participate. They all serve a little sample. And then the ticket prices, 100% of the proceeds go to the organization to help end childhood hunger in the United States. Share Our Strength has been around since 1984. Jenny Dirksen is the National Director of Chef and Culinary Professional Relations for No Kid Hungry, which is organized by Share Our Strength. She joined Sherry Bayer on episode 182 of All in the Industry to talk about the organization's history. Billy Shore and his sister Debbie Shore founded it on this idea that everyone has the strength to share. Um, But in 2010, they decided to really focus in on domestic childhood hunger as something you know, kids aren't hungry in this country because we lack food. We lack access. Um, so the No Kid Hungry campaign is, is really the biggest effort that the organization makes right now, and that's what I work on. Um, our mission is really simple. Make sure every kid in the U.S. has the food they need to grow up strong. Summer is a time when many kids lack access to healthy food that they would otherwise get through school meals. According to No Kid Hungry, on average, families report spending an additional $316 on groceries each month during the summer. The National Summer Meals Program is funded by the USDA to provide free meals, which are served by community organizations like libraries, faith-based groups, and schools. No Kid Hungry provides grant funding and technical support to increase awareness of free summer meals nationwide. More than 500,000 families have found summer meal sites through their Text to Find Summer Meals program. But there's more work to be done. No Kid Hungry plans to open more summer meal sites, add mobile meal delivery, and advocate to lawmakers. That's why support from the community and chefs like Eli is essential. It's important for chefs and restaurants to participate in a uh, not only No Kid Hungry, but any type of charity that's working to either fight hunger, uh, end hunger, or or contribute positively to uh, children in need, because this is a, a problem in the United States that's actually very solvable. There are government programs and food that are accessible. It's just about connecting the programs and the actual food products with those 
that need it. If you want to learn more about No Kid Hungry and their summer meal program, go to nokidhungry.org. Could you or someone you know benefit from free summer meals for kids? Just text FOOD to 877-877. You'll receive a text back asking for your address or zip code. Once you enter your location, you'll receive a list of summer meal sites in your vicinity. The service is also available in Spanish. Just text FOOD to 877-877. Or for Spanish instructions, text COMIDA to 877-877. Our next story is about one of New York's youngest professional chefs. At just 10 years old, Josh Reisner earned a spot in the finals of MasterChef Junior. It whet his appetite to cook professionally, even though he wasn't legally allowed to get a job. Now 15, Josh tells us about his journey. It wasn't like food was like forced onto me, but it was like my parents were like, oh, if you want to try this, you should try it. And, and I never ordered off the kids menu. I don't know if they were joking around or not, but like my parents would say like, oh, if I was being like a bad kid, I would order off the kids' menu. It's possible there were some genetics at play here. My great-grandmother and my great-grandfather on my father's side, they actually met working at Katz's Deli. Reisner is a self-described ramen enthusiast, but not the kind of ramen that most 15-year-olds pick up at the grocery store. I've definitely gone to Ramen Lab to eat at least once every month. So, like, I'm there for every single pop-up because, you know, I'm such a huge fan of it. And um, I think that working in a ramen kitchen, not only can you develop like a skill for like making sauces and of course making broth and stuff, but because there are so many components, um, even when I was like 11, it really helped me like understand how to lay out your own kitchen and, and how to like time certain things. After staging at the ramen lab, Josh learned that if he asked the right way and enough times, he could talk his way into some of the top kitchens in New York, like the recently shuttered Momofuku Mapesh. I'm so young and they think that, you know, someone will like step on me and I'll sue or something. I never try and be like annoying about it, but I really want to get my foot in the door. So it's like, I mean, you if it's not going to come to me, so I have to ask. He's figuring out how to get the best of both worlds. It used to be about separating the kid school life with the adult chef life. But now I feel like I've gotten comfortable enough to blend them together. And I think that that's gotten very easy for me. How different could a kitchen be from a classroom anyway? I think that there's a lot of fun happening in the kitchen because I guess all these people are always around each other so they know everyone very well. So they're having like a good time and that makes me really have a good time. And that's just like school where, you know, I see kids for six hours a day. So I get used to them and, um, you know, I, I become friends with a lot of them. And Josh is making plans for the future. I really want to strengthen like my pastry side and my like butchering side, very, very different things. But um, I think that if I could strengthen those sides, then I could work to the next level. And obviously I'll go to school, but who cares about that? Keep up with Josh's culinary journey, along with his other 61,000 followers. His Instagram handle is at Chef Josh R. 
When we return, I'll share the results of the investigation we promised on the previous episode of Meet in 3. How are the young migrant children who have been separated from their families at the U.S. border being fed? Maybe you're looking for a coat for yourself, or you want a bold look for your staff. You might even need a new style for your restaurant, whether it's modern, industrial, or farm-to-table. Whatever you're looking for, Happy Chef has got you covered. Their wide variety of chef apparel and products are perfect for teams of all sizes and styles. And with the industry's easiest custom embroidery, you can add your logo, name, or fun artwork to many of their other products in minutes. Here's what you do. Visit happychef.com and choose from their incredible selection. With only a couple clicks, you can customize many of their products to personalize your look. Right now, they're even offering free custom logo setup on all orders over $150, a $95 value totally free. Visit happychef.com now to order your free 2018 catalog featuring new styles and incredible comfort. Happy Chef, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Public outcry was swift and loud when the Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy for improper border crossing ultimately led to the separation of nearly 2,000 migrant children from their parents. On June 20th, President Trump signed an executive order to stop the separations. A federal judge also ordered that children taken from their parents must be reunited by the end of this month, But reports indicate that due to red tape, the process could take longer. We're heartbroken for these children and are especially concerned for their nutritional welfare. Do they have enough to eat, and are the foods provided safe and culturally appropriate? We heard that some of the children had been moved to the Cayuga Center in East Harlem and set about researching how they were being fed in our city. Getting answers wasn't easy. We reached out to the Office of Refugee Resettlement, specifically their Unaccompanied Alien Children's Services program, and the mayor's press office, but did not hear back by our deadline. Thankfully, we're not the only organization concerned about these kids' care and nutrition. I'm Rachel Merker. I'm a director of policy and research at First Focus. First Focus is a bipartisan advocacy organization. It's dedicated to making children and families the priority in federal policy and budget decisions. At last, Rachel could explain the government's policy on feeding children in the foster care and temporary housing system. So those facilities are required to be state-licensed child care providers, and they have to meet Office of Refugee Resettlement requirements to ensure a high level of quality care. And that includes nutritional services in accordance with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and U.S. Department of Health and Human Services nutritional guidelines and state licensing requirements. And they also have to establish procedures to accommodate dietary restrictions, food allergies, health issues, and religious or spiritual requirements. Rachel and her team at First Focus are not completely satisfied that these standards are being met. We've had concerns about whether ORR care providers have the resources they need to appropriately care for these children. So for a long time, we've been pushing for the Unaccompanied Alien Children Program, which is what funds these facilities, to receive higher levels of funding, um, which would hopefully contribute to just 
better care overall. So I think right now what we're very worried about is just the influx of kids created by this zero tolerance policy, kind of maxing out resources. But I think, honestly, what we're most concerned about is not necessarily the ORR facilities, but actually how these kids are being treated and what they're being fed when they're still in the custody of Customs and Border Patrol, because that's where we're kind of seeing some news reports about inhumane conditions and insufficient access to food and medical care. And then we're also worried about what we're hearing about the administration asking the Department of Defense to house some of these kids and families in these soft-sided camp facilities, because those would be labeled as emergency influx shelters, and they would be held to less stringent standards of care. And so that could impact the nutritional quality of the food and, and other health concerns. So Rachel joined forces with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and 14 other organizations. They sent a letter to the Secretary of Homeland Security outlining their concerns about the migrant children's access to appropriate food, nutrition, and medical care. The letter also warns about the long-term impact on their mental and physical well-being. For us, it was a no-brainer to sign on to that letter. We wanted to be sure that they know that when you're caring for infants and toddlers in these facilities, they have really specific health and nutritional needs. And we wanted to be sure that the public was receiving information about what kinds of foods these kids are being given. Two priorities mentioned in the letter, breastfeeding and food safety. We know, too, that not every mom breastfeeds, um, but regardless, it's a very personal decision about whether or not to use formula or breast milk. And DHS has basically made that decision for these families. Uh, We even heard a news story about a baby being taken from a mother while breastfeeding. So regardless, you know, I think it's important to ensure that these kids are not receiving solid foods before they're six months old. And also, you know, are they being screened? Because if they're being given formula, some babies have allergies to certain milk proteins. Um, And then in general, especially if they're going to be in temporary facilities or soft-sided camps in really hot conditions, just making sure that their food is being prepared safely in sanitary conditions. Rachel did have some encouraging words for us. The good news is that the Office of Refugee Resettlement does require care providers to include cultural awareness in its food menus. Culturally appropriate foods are really important for kids in general um, because we know, right, that kids aren't going to eat foods they're not familiar with. So especially for these kids who are entering into a new country and probably coming in with really specific health needs, we want to make sure that they are receiving food they're familiar with, that they're comfortable with, um, that is spiritually appropriate, that is culturally appropriate. But I think, again, the concern would be in any of these temporary facilities that might crop up, that this might not be as much of a concern. On any given day, there are nearly half a million children in foster care in the United States, according to children's rights statistics. Are they getting the nutrition they need? So I do think that there's been progress made. Generally, since around 2010, we've seen some really good policies put into place aimed at making sure that kids have access to food assistance. So children in the foster care system are 
considered categorically eligible or automatically eligible for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, as well as school meals. Um, and so that's really positive. The majority of kids in the system have already experienced kind of a range of intersectional issues like poverty, trauma, abuse. So if you add on food insecurity, that can exacerbate a lot of developmental and health issues. So it's really critical to ensure that kids in foster care have access to adequate food that is nutritious and allows them to thrive. You can learn more about Rachel's organization at firstfocus.org. That's it for this week's show. Write us anytime at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out. Be sure to save some room on your plate for Meet and 3 every Friday afternoon. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you love what you're hearing, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and recommend us to your friends. Special thanks this week to Sherry Bayer and Eli Sussman. Meet and 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Margaret Kelly, Hannah Forden, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is David Tadashore. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet in 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Join us next week for a dispatch from Slow Food Nations in Denver.